Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening to Star Wars Comics in Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 28. And for this one, I'm actually doing the first Star Wars Comics in Canon book review. And this book review is going to be about Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. Now, for clarity, what I'm aiming to do is have this podcast in sort of three sections. So still be in the one episode, but depending on how much you want this book spoiled for you will depend on how far you listen to. So I'm going to do the first section, which is just going to be vaguely talking about the book, reading the blurb and the title crawl, giving some sort of vague plot points and other things. Then I'll move on to sort of phase two, which will be more spoilers, getting a little bit more depth into it, but not actually spoiling anything. It will be more of sort of uh, like an extended trailer almost just more information about things but none of the plot points or anything like that should get ruined for you and then the third part which will be right at the end and I'll give ample spoiler warnings when I do that that's going to be your yeah, actual spoilers that's going to be more so for people who aren't intending on reading or listening to the audiobook of Master and Apprentice and who just want to know the plot points and aren't ever fussed about reading it obviously if you listen to this entire show I'm not going to go through I mean it's a 430 page page book i'm not going to be able to speak about it within half an hour to 40 minutes and actually be able to give enough information to fully spoil it but obviously there is an ongoing plot and something happens towards the end and that thing i will mention in the third part so you should still be able to enjoy the whole book but if you are really sort of against listening to any spoilers and you want to read the whole book with barely any information then i'd probably say just stick to phase one or phase two So let's start with some of the information about the book itself. So it was released in April 2019. It is written by Claudia Gray. And just for clarity, some more works that Claudia Gray has done. Uh, She's written the Lost Stars novel, Bloodline, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, this book, obviously, Master and Apprentice. Then also a short story in the book, Certain Point of View. And then she's also going to be doing the High Republic book, Into the Dark. The next book review I'm likely going to do is probably going to be Lost Stars, which was, I believe, her first book and one of the first uh, books released in the new Disney canon. Uh, I'm reading that right now. I'm about halfway through it. I was reading it for about two hours last night. So um, about halfway through it, I'm really, really enjoying it. And then, yeah, so I imagine in a couple months time, I'll probably do another book review on that. I have already read Bloodline, uh, which is a brilliant book as well. And then some of the other Star Wars books I've read who aren't by Claudia Gray is obviously Certain Point of View, which is 40 short stories, just basically different perspectives on A New Hope. And then also I've read, I said Bloodline, I've read Ahsoka by E.K. Johnston, and I've also read the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig. I'm looking to get more books and try and read more, but obviously reading a 400-ish page book takes a lot more time than it does to read, you know, a 30-page comic. So I am getting on those, and you can expect more of these in the future, but they're going to be fairly spaced out. So firstly, would I recommend this book? 
yes I would it is absolutely brilliant I'd say it's in the better half of the Star Wars books I've read I will clarify that all the Star Wars books I've read are really really good certain point of view is probably the worst one but that's just because it's 40 short stories so some stories don't quite hit in the same way that others do but I'm not going to rank the best books I've read because it kind of depends on what you're looking for I think the Aftermath trilogy is probably the best like placeholder for a movie because the Aftermath trilogy there's so much in there so many new characters and lots of connections to other things it, it takes a really really good job of being a proper sequel to Return of the Jedi and this one does a pretty good job of being like a prequel to Phantom Menace uh, the reason I say that about this book specifically is it focuses on Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and their relationship it is set eight years before the events of Phantom Menace so in this book Obi-Wan is 17 years old and Qui-Gon is 40 years old it is set at 39-40 BBY, so about 40 years before uh, the events of A New Hope, and that is about 8 years before the events of Phantom Menace. As well as Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, this book goes into information about Dooku. Uh, the way the book's generally structured is you've got a couple of chapters, which is sort of the main plot, what's going on in air quotes present time, and then there'll be little chapters which are just say before at it. And then the before ones are pretty much always to do with Qui-Gon and his relationship with Count Dooku. Uh, his name, Count Dooku is his title, his name is actually just Dooku. Uh, I go into details about that a couple of episodes ago, it was episode 26, so if you want to know like the whole uh, sort of overview of Count Dooku's life as to how he got Qui-Gon, and or when he got Qui-Gon rather, how he got into the Jedi Order, why he left, blah blah blah, That will that's all focused in episode 26 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, but I got a lot of the information from that from this book. So it, it gives really good insight into Qui-Gon's relationship with Dooku uh, and also Qui-Gon's relationship with Obi-Wan because Qui-Gon was Dooku's apprentice and then obviously Obi-Wan is Qui-Gon's. Aside from that, it's mainly just new characters it kind of focuses on. There's a little bit of information about uh, the Jedi Order, but it primarily focuses on some of the new characters. One is Rael Avaros. He is a Jedi as well. He was actually Dooku's apprentice before Qui-Gon, so he's a bit older than Qui-Gon. Uh, and then there's also the characters of Fanry, who is the princess of Pijal, and that's where the majority of the plot takes place. And then two other characters, which is Pax Marifer and Rahara Wick, who are basically pilots who kind of help Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, but I'll get more into them in another one of the phases. Another thing that's really interesting in this book is actually the prophecies. Uh, it's the first time, to my knowledge, in canon that the Chosen One prophecy is actually in here in full. I think there's about six prophecies in the book in total. Um, oh, in phase two, I'm going to go into some more of the prophecies, and then one of the prophecies is basically a spoiler uh, for the book. It's not quite a spoiler, but if I read it and give what I think it means, it is almost for certain explained in the book. So in phase three, I'll read out the final prophecy and I'll kind of explain why it's in there. But if I say it in phase two and explain it, it will kind of spoil things a bit. And the general sort of plot of this is it's essentially... You know, it's eight years before Phantom Menace. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have been Master and Apprentice for a little while now. I think it's a few years or so seems to be about the time. And essentially, it starts off, there's a, there's a mission they go on. Obi-Wan doesn't quite understand what Qui-Gon means when he gives him an order at some point. He does something a little bit wrong. The mission still seemingly is a success, but that basically makes Qui-Gon question if he's really the best fit for Obi-Wan. You know, Qui-Gon is very rebellious against the Council and things, whereas Obi-Wan is very much, you know, sticking to the rules, don't break them, listen to the council, that sort of thing. So dynamic is very interesting. And then Qui-Gon, I want to clarify this is on the 
blurb, which I'll read in a moment, Qui-Gon is basically offered a seat on the Jedi Council, and to do that, he can't have an apprentice. So he basically has to choose whether he wants to serve on the Council and give Obi-Wan to someone else, or if he wants to persevere with Obi-Wan and continuous training, even though they've had sort of a, a rough time, in, in a sense. And they basically get sent on this sort of, this one in air quotes, one last mission before Qui-Gon has to make his mind up of whether he wants to go on the council or not. And this mission is involving Rail Avaros, who is a Jedi as well. And he's on Pijal, so that's kind of where it all interlinks. And that's generally where the story goes on this front. Um, I'll just read the blurb for you guys, and then I think that will, relatively speaking, be it for phase one. Oh, I will also say that there's quite a nice little thing about Obi-Wan and a Varactyl in here. Uh, in Revenge of the Sith, that sort of lizard thing that he rides on Utapau, that's a Varactyl. And it shows kind of his first interaction with a Varactyl in this book as well, which is quite cool. So, here's the blurb. An unexpected offer threatens the bond between Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi as the two Jedi navigate a dangerous new planet and an uncertain future. A Jedi must be a fearless warrior, a guardian of justice, and a scholar in the ways of the Force, but perhaps a Jedi's most essential duty is to pass on what they've learned. Master Yoda trained Dooku, Dooku trained Qui-Gon Jinn, and now Qui-Gon has a Padawan of his own. But while Qui-Gon has faced all manners of danger as a Jedi, nothing has ever scared him like the thought of failing his apprentice. Obi-Wan Kenobi has a deep respect for his master, but struggles to understand him. Why must Qui-Gon so often disregard the laws that bind the Jedi? Why is Qui-Gon drawn to ancient Jedi prophecies instead of practical concerns? And why wasn't Obi-Wan told that Qui-Gon is considering an invitation to join the Jedi Council, knowing it would mean the end of their partnership? When Jedi Rail Avaros, another former student of Dooku, requests their assistance with a political dispute, Jin and Kenobi travel to the royal court of Pijal for what may be their final mission together. Their simple assignment quickly becomes clouded by deceit and by visions of a violent disaster that take hold in Qui-Gon's mind. As Qui-Gon's faith in prophecy grows, Obi-Wan's faith in him is tested, just as a threat surfaces that will demand that Master and Apprentice come together as never before, or be divided forever. So that's basically the end of phase one, so that should just cover all the vague bits and pieces about the book, and won't spoil anything for anyone who is intending to read it. So now I'm going to move on to phase two, I'm going to give a bit more information about the characters involved, some of the plot lines, and other information too. I'm going to read sort of the first page of it, of this as well, because the very first page of this book is actually like a title crawl, not dissimilar to in the films and things like that. So I'll read that as well as part of this, because obviously if you pick up the book, that's like the first thing you read, so it's not much of a spoiler. So I'll give a little bit more information of certain bits and pieces there, and then later on I'll give a major spoiler warning for when I get into phase three. It is a time of peace. The Galactic Republic, which is governed for thousands of years, has provided prosperity to many worlds and opportunity to most. Only a few shadows of conflict darken the galaxy, and these are handled by the Jedi Knights, the guardians of peace and justice throughout the Republic. One of those conflicts arises on the planet Teth, a source of corruption that threatens many nearby systems. The Jedi Council sends Qui-Gon Jinn and his young Padawan to investigate, but the criminal element on Teth has chosen not to cooperate. So that's where the book starts, and the first chapter or so is basically Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan on this little mission. You know, many Star Wars films and things do start with, like, the first few minutes or so being on this random adventure and loads of action and stuff, and then afterwards it kind of prevents the main stuff. So that's what you can expect from starting this book. 
So one of the main reasons I actually want to speak about this book is not only because of Dooku, but also because there's that character Rail Avaros who I mentioned before. And he was, as I say, the apprentice of Dooku before Qui-Gon. And so he's a little bit older than Qui-Gon, and he's a very interesting character. He's probably the most different Jedi that I've come across in all of canon, and I'd love to see him in more stuff as well. So he's essentially almost like more of a maverick, more of a renegade. Now, Qui-Gon seems like a maverick and a renegade, but he just kind of disagrees with the Jedi Council and speaks about the living force quite a lot, uh, which I don't necessarily disagree with, but that's his kind of, he just has a slightly different belief system. Whereas Ray Lavros actively goes against the Jedi Council in numerous different ways and things. And to give a bit of background information, he is actually the oldest youngling that was taken into the Jedi Council, excluding Anakin. He was actually taken in at age 5, while Obi-Wan was actually taken in at age 3. And apparently being taken in at age 3 is a little bit late. So this is going on for like, the Jedi Council takes in kids, or babies really, from the age like 1 to 2 is quite, is the norm. Age 3 is a little bit late, and then 5 is like the oldest they took in, apart from Anakin, who I think was like 8 or 9. So it just goes to show like how young people are actually indoctrinated into this. And Ray Lavros also serves not only as a friend, but also a mentor to Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, there's a chapter about a mission they went on together, I think it was Shurapak, and that's when he basically met him, which was only a few weeks after he was in with Dooku, as in a few weeks after Qui-Gon was picked up by Dooku to be his Padawan. Now, Rail Avros has actually been sent to this planet, which is Pijao, and he's the Lord Regent. Essentially, Pijao, they have this monarchy system, but a lot of the members of the family seem to have died, and the main heir left was a girl called Fanry, who was six years old. Now, obviously a six-year-old can't run a whole system, uh, even in a monarchy working like that, it just won't work. So they needed someone to go in there and essentially help until she was of age which i believe she would be 14 when she was of age and then she becomes queen and then they won't essentially need rail avaros anymore there's a lot more i do want to say about rail avaros but i'm going to save that for in phase three i think because once again i don't want to spoil too much of the book uh but it is he, he is such an interesting character and i'd say as long as you're interested in obi-wan and qui-gon to a degree as long as you're willing to listen about rail avaros that's enough to get you to read this book and I will also clarify that Rail Avaros is in the audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost, uh, which the creator of which spoke of Claudia Gray quite a lot. I think it was Kevin Scott. And both of them kind of collaborated a little bit on Dooku Jedi Lost so that these two uh, pieces of information combine quite nicely. So it's a really good sort of companion piece. There is also a part, one of the flashbacky bits, where Qui-Gon sees Dooku uh, use some dark side energy, use the Force in a dark way a little bit. I'm not going to go into details in Phase 2 here, but I want to hint, sprinkle that hint there as well to kind of get you guys, as I said, I'd love for you guys to read this book or listen to the audio version of it because it is absolutely cracking. So a little bit of information about other stuff. So we've got Pijao, and I spoke about Pijao, which is the planet slash system. You've got Famry, who's the princess, who's part of the monarchy, where the rulers died and whatnot. Obviously, I said that Avaros was assigned to be Lord Regent. And what happens is that Avaros actually requests Qui-Gon Jinn to assist in the sort of... There's a coronation coming up for Fanry, which is when she'll sign the documents and then basically officially become queen. And he wants them there to assist because there seems to be quite a lot of tensions between Pijao and, well, Pijao's monarchy and this uh, corporation called Zerka Corporation. Uh, Zerka Corporation, they're this big faceless corporation, as you can imagine. Uh, they have vested interests and entanglement with Pijao. And one of the other reasons why the Jedi Council and the Republic actually want to get so involved in everything is because there are some essential hyperspace lanes uh, which Pijao either has control of or it goes through or near Pijao or something like that so essentially Pijao have this 
control over these hyperspace lanes which is really layman's terms is like an ultra fast motorway you know traveling hyperspace you go faster than the speed of light and if there's not like a specific guide and route you could just go and slam straight into a planet or wreckage or an asteroid or anything like that so the majority of hyperspace traveling that we see in star wars is obviously it's like you know net course and things is told to the nav computer quite a lot but a lot of the time it's using hyperspace lanes so that, that's like the safe lanes essentially to make sure you don't crash into a planet or something so that's why there's so many people kind of invested interest in this sort of thing and zerka corporation I, I think they get mentioned in other star wars works a little bit but essentially you know they they help a lot with a lot of systems and places with a lot of things but they do also incorporate slavery into their things so they own slaves so obviously that's quite a big red flag in a lot of ways and so you know Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are basically assigned to try and be unbiased and to try and help the coronation go along smoothly Another two characters that are quite prominent in this are Pax Marifa and Rahara Wick. Now, Pax Marifa is quite interesting because he's a human male and he was actually raised by protocol droids, as in C-3PO style protocol droids. In fact, two of the people who raise him are B-3PO and G-3PO, which is quite hilarious. So he was basically, uh, when he was really, really young, this gets mentioned very early on when I think you're introduced to him. Essentially, really early on, I think something happens, he's a, a part of this crew and it gets abandoned or something bad happens and they're stranded in space. And he is like a child at this point. So he gets raised by numerous protocol droids for like years and years. And that's made him a little bit, uh, shall we say, quirky. Um, he's not quite as polite as C-3PO in a lot of ways. But when I was looking up information about this book, uh, Claudia Gray, the author, basically said he's kind of like Sherlock in the show Elementary. Now, I haven't seen the show Elementary, but Sherlock in the TV show Sherlock, made by BBC with Benedict Cumberbatch, also the movies with Robert Downey Jr. and General Sherlock other things that he's been in or rather other things that featured Sherlock it's that kind of know-it-all behavior that kind of acting you're a bit smarter than everyone even though Pax isn't necessarily smarter than everyone but the way the protocol droids are kind of raised him that's how it is Rahara Wick however she's kind of like a companion of his and she was actually born into slavery on Hosnian Prime uh, she managed to escape on Ord Mandel and then met Pax that is once again something he gets mentioned quite early on in the book as well so they're two characters that are very interesting they do give a bit of uh, extra depth when they interact with Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and other characters it adds a kind of you know non-Jedi human element to it which is quite cool and now it's time to read some of the prophecies that are in there and kind of my interpretation of them. Some of them are fairly obvious and I feel like, you know, anyone would kind of get this interpretation, but I thought I would just spice things up and say one of the things that I thought. Um, so we might as well start probably with the sort of, you know, chosen one prophecy that everyone knows about that gets quoted in the prequels even though it's never really actually stated um so we've got the full thing here or seemingly the full thing so here we go only through sacrifice of many jedi will the order cleanse the sin done to the nameless the danger of the past is not past but sleeps in an egg when the egg cracks it will threaten the galaxy entire when the force itself sickens past and future must split and combine a chosen one shall come born of no father, and through him will ultimate balance in the Force be restored. So obviously, without seeing the prequels, you don't really know what that means. But obviously seeing the prequels, it means, you know, only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the Order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. So they basically became too indoctrinated, too dogmatic, you know, too up themselves, essentially, and too arrogant. And then Order 66 happened, it cleanses them, and then obviously in the events of Return of the Jedi, Vader kills Palpatine and dies himself, and then that kind of leaves balance, because there's no Sith and there's barely any Jedi, and that is much more of a balance than there being, you know, 
10,000 Jedi and Sith, like two of them left. So it does actually balance it quite a lot. Obviously, it's not what the Jedi of the prequels thought. So the next one is, he who learns to conquer death will, through his greatest student, live again. I'm pretty certain in this one, uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan think it's about this Sith called Darth Krell, and there's not really much information about Darth Krell at all. But what I think it is, is probably Qui-Gon learning, because he learns in the Clone Wars, uh, if you watch the Clone Wars series it kind of shows, Qui-Gon was the first Jedi to be able to be a Force ghost. He didn't be able to show himself fully visually to begin with, but he could have his ethereal voice speaking out. And then that eventually got taught to Yoda, and then Yoda learned how to do it properly, fully, and then Yoda taught Obi-Wan how to do it, and that's how Obi-Wan and Yoda are both Force ghosts, and then Qui-Gon is... I can't fully remember if he actually is a full Force ghost by the sort of original or even sequel era, but I know that... at to begin with, he can only project his voice, not a physical manifestation. So yeah, he who learns to conquer death will, through his greatest student, live again. So obviously, his greatest student being Obi-Wan and that sort of thing. So that's kind of what you can see from there. Now there's another one here, which is, When the righteous lose the light, evil, once dead, shall return. Now, that could be it for a great many things. You know, when righteous lose the light, evil, once dead, shall return. That could be about the Sith, who they thought was destroyed for ages and coming back. So that could be the sort of fear of the prequels. But it could also be something to do with the sequels. Um, because, minor spoiler now for Rise of Skywalker, but it is in the trailer and like everywhere, so you should know by now, Palpatine comes back in Rise of Skywalker. Woo. Uh, also in Legends, to be fair, he did also come back in very similar way. Um, not I, Neither way really impresses me or is very exciting to me. I think it's kind of bland storytelling but i'm not here to whinge about rise of skywalker um essentially so evil once dead shall return when righteous lose the light so it's either you know righteous lose the light that could be luke losing it sort of in the sequel era and then kylo falling to snoke and that could be it and then obviously eventually palpatine it could just be palpatine coming back again uh, you know righteous lose the light maybe it's about ray losing it a little bit this book was written you know only april 2019 well it was written much before april 2019 but that's when it's published so i don't know if claudia gray had that much information obviously rogers the skywalker it was originally a script by colin trevaro which wouldn't have fe featured palpatine at all uh, and then they scrapped that and decided to go with jj abram's script so you know that could be down for interpretation it could be quite a few different ones Another one is, she who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. That's probably about Leia. You know, she'd be born to darkness, born of Darth Vader, you know, will give birth to darkness, being Kylo Ren. That could be uh, about Leia, or it could actually be about Shmi Skywalker, because I don't know if she was born to darkness, um, but she is a slave, and then she gives birth to darkness as well. Anakin doesn't seem that bad to begin with, but becomes it. I feel like it's more likely to be Leia, but that could be it too. Now, the last one I'm going to say in this phase uh, is actually, because obviously there's that one I don't want to say quite yet. The last one I'm going to say is, one will ascend to the highest of the Jedi, despite the foreboding of those who would serve with him. So that sounds like Anakin and, you know, not getting on the Jedi order because they don't trust him fully. And then that is kind of basically the problem. And so he becomes more powerful than pretty much any Jedi. And all of that is because they wouldn't let him on the council and trust him fully, partially blaming Mace Windu for that. But that's seemingly what it is so it's all quite the the, the prophecies are seemingly all most all to do with sort of prequel era stuff uh but they're all quite cool in that regard and it's quite cool having a book where it actually goes into these things rather than it just kind of be this weird airy fairy you know prophecy stuff
So with that in mind, I'm going to get on to the last phase now. So the last phase is going to be more spoilerific, if that's even a word. It essentially is, I'm going to talk about some stuff in depth. Once again, if you are planning on reading Master and Apprentice, you can probably listen to this stuff and it wouldn't get anything ruined too badly. But I would say it may do you know i'm not gonna it's not gonna ruin necessarily major major things right at the very end i may talk about the the final sort of plot points in the book but i still haven't decided that yet and i'm saying it in like 10 minutes so we'll see about that um but some more information here about the stuff within it so one of the things is Rael Avaros. I want to get more information about him. Uh, so Rael Avaros, one of the things it introduces to him is that he had a Padawan uh, a while before this sort of book. And her name was Nim. And essentially they were on a freighter. They were fighting against pirates. And then the crew mutinied. And then Nim got hit with a slicer dart. Now a slicer dart doesn't appear in canon elsewhere, seemingly. But essentially it hits someone and then nanotechnology basically changes the brain chemistry and the person becomes under the control of the slicer dart so nim then became basically almost like feral and went for rail avaros and he had to strike her down so rail avaros had to kill his own padawan because on a mission with him she got hit by a slicer dart which he believes is his fault because he should have been aware of that and he should have you know not allowed that to happen and so she dies because of that the Jedi Order don't really know what to do with him. They don't necessarily hold him at fault for that. So they have like a trial and they think that he couldn't have necessarily done anything. And he'd made the right call. And therefore they don't punish him. But that's when they send him off to this mission to be Lord Regent of Pijao. He's there for quite a few years actually. I think it's around eight years that he's there. So it's not quite punishment. But you know it, it kind of is at the same time. But that's sort of his uh, backstory a little bit. One of the interesting things in some of the before sort of chapters is one of them is actually uh, Qui-Gon speaking with him and <laughs> Rayo Avaros is on Takodana and it mentions this short orange woman wearing beads and goggles walking past uh, and that's going to be Maz Kanata of her castle that's shown in The Force Awakens. So he's actually there and he actually mentions that he is smoking death sticks which if any of you remember in episode 2 uh, Obi-Wan is offered death sticks when he's in the bar looking for Zam Wessel along with uh, Anakin and the character called Elan Sleezabagano he is the one who offers him death sticks. It's like, you know, do you want to buy some death sticks? And he's like, uh, no, I don't want to buy your death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. That scene, which that terrible impression was of, that should remind anyone who that person was. Um, but death sticks, they're essentially, they're addictive and they're for thrill seekers. There's not that much more information about them in canon. I don't know what one would compare them to. So, you know, I don't know, a smokable that is highly addictive for thrill seekers. I don't know. I'm not going to delve into a big drug talk on this podcast because that's not what I want to get into, but that's what that is. Uh, there's also a thing where he is from Ringo Vendan. That's only in an episode of The Clone Wars that I can see, uh, and it's basically where a stormtrooper called Tup shoots a Jedi. He loses his mind and shoots one, and then that starts off this whole plot about fives and the inhibitor chips and all that sort of jazz, so you know that's quite cool. And one of the other things that I quite like about it is that he doesn't care about his appearance at all, Ray Lavaros, and he actually has sex, which is very unheard of in the Jedi. Um, he actually has a couple of cool interactions with Qui-Gon that I'll read in a second. So the first time that Rail Avaros and Sex is mentioned is in this part. It's about a third or so through the book. But I'm just going to read you a little bit of exchange because it, it cracks me up, to be honest. Rail, Qui-Gon Jinn's voice came from the doorway. May I speak with you? Qui-Gon? Avaros scrambled out of bed, grabbing for a dressing gown. Be right with you. But for those who lived in a Jedi temple, a communal space, 
Privacy was more of a concept than a reality. Avros remembered when it had been that way for him too, so he couldn't be angry when Qui-Gon walked straight in, just embarrassed. Ah, Qui-Gon said, staring at the woman in Avros's bed. Uh, forgive my intrusion. Selby was just leaving, Avros promised. It happened to be true. She'd already tugged her underdress on, despite his wheedling. But this still won him a glare from Selby, who might have preferred a warmer introduction. She knows why this is so awkward, he reminded himself, as he draped her cloak about her and saw her to the door. She'll get over it soon enough. If Selby didn't get over it, well, this is no more of a matter of inconvenience for either of them. There'll be others for her, others for him. So that's a little thing. So he does have basically casual sex with people, <laughs> which is quite entertaining of a Jedi. Now I'm going to read the one other part in which sex is mentioned with the real Avros, just because as I said it's so out of character for a Jedi, it's just quite interesting and it gives you a good idea of what kind of person real Avros actually is. And this part is actually to do with a thing with Dooku, which I will go into straight after reading this out, so it will make sense. So, relax kid. Rail's hologram shimmered in the centre of Qui-Gon's meditation room. It sounds like Dooku lost his temper, did something he shouldn't have. But really, when it comes down to it, sometimes you've got to get the job done, you know? That doesn't sound right to me, Qui-Gon insisted. He hugged his knees to his chest. It felt worse than anger. It felt... It felt as though Master Duke was close to darkness. He was scared because he was worried about you, Rail shrugged. That's another thing the Council's dead wrong about. They keep saying, Oh, the Jedi aren't allowed to love, and that's why we're never supposed to get laid. Rail! Qui-Gon felt as if somebody might walk in any second. He'd strongly hoped the meditation room would remain empty at this hour so he could speak with Rail in private without being overheard by other Padawans, Dooku, or anyone else. Nobody but Rail could understand the line their master walked or the dangerous allure of the prophecies. But instead of taking this seriously, Rail was joking around, sucking on a death stick in some lively cantina on some out-of-the-way planet called Takodana. Don't be so prim, Rail insisted. We're not supposed to love, right? Because it makes us less objective, more likely to respond emotionally instead of rationally. We still love our friends, we still love our masters, and they love their Padawans. I mean, somebody brings you up for 10 years, unless you're a total jerk, you're going to love them. That's how people are. Human people, Trandoshan people, Aqualish. I, I get it, Rail. And that's generally it. It ends up going into other conversations and things. But you can see how much more casually Rail is about that sort of thing. Obviously, in that scene, he's smoking death sticks in Maz Kanata's bar while talking about getting laid. Uh, so it's, it's quite good. And um, for clarity, that flashback, it just says before. In, in these sort of flashbacky chapters in Master and Apprentice, it doesn't tell you explicitly when, but from what I can tell, uh, each chapter that goes back is in chronological order. So the first one is the earliest and the last one is the latest. So that's how it kind of works out. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically Rail. And it does actually link with another part, which is what Rail and Qui-Gon were actually speaking about. So this next bit is another one which is before, and it's to do with what the thing that Rail and Qui-Gon were speaking about, which is Dooku getting closer and closer to darkness in some ways. Uh, so Qui-Gon and Dooku were on this mission of some sort, and then someone has basically, they've been split up to some degree in like a forest, and Qui-Gon is getting approached by this individual. So I'll just, once again, I'll read some parts of this, just an insight. And once again, I want to clarify, this may seem like I'm kind of spoiling the book a little bit, but there are 430 pages in this. So there's a lot of information in here and there's a lot of amazing parts which I'm not reading. I just want to give an insight of like a taster of what the kind of book holds, just to see if any of you weren't necessarily going to read it. You still get an idea of what it's about, but if you want to, you should still read it because it's a cracking book. So the person in question is someone called Shenda Moll, and this is her speaking. It goes like this, I'm trying to kill one target of every age, at least up to 200. I can't go chasing ancients all the time, but I want all 200 years represented. 
So far, my oldest was a whiphead who was 162. My youngest was four days. I count her as zero. Moll said it proudly. It turned Qui-Gon's stomach. Here's the thing, her grin widened. I've killed a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old, but that leaves me with a little gap. A gap you'd fill perfectly. She's going to kill me. Qui-Gon's hand tightened on his lightsaber. He'd just have to try and block her, even if it was futile. A flash of light exploded from the jungle, striking Shenda Mole. She screamed in agony, dropping her blaster and tumbling down the hillside to fall to the ground. Qui-Gon could no longer see her. Thick undergrowth blocked his view, but he could hear a strangled gurgling coming from her throat, scratching against the dirt as though she were clawing or kicking at the ground. Before Qui-Gon could ask what that light had been, the foliage rustled and to reveal Master Dooku. You kill the helpless and brag of it, Dooku said, walking past Qui-Gon into the underbrush, focused only on Mole. Although Qui-Gon wanted to see his master, to show himself, he knew better than to interject himself into an encounter Dooku had well in hand. You think to murder my Padawan merely to fulfil your pitiful ambition? You find yourself impressive, do you? You know nothing of true power. Brilliant light flashed again, and again. Qui-Gon still couldn't see it directly, though he could feel his skin prickling and his hair standing on end. The air tasted of ozone. None of that seemed to matter. Not when he could hear Mole's wretched shrieks of pain. Then... Shenda Mole's cries choked off. For one instant, Qui-Gon thought that she was dead, but then he heard her moaning brokenly. The sound wrenched him into action. Master, stop! He pushed his way through the underbrush to stand between Dooku and Mole. The assassin lay at his master's feet, curled in on herself, trembling. Please, I'm alright. We're taking her into custody. It's over. Dooku's expression was unreadable at first, but slowly he lowered his hand. It's over, his master repeated. Suddenly, he seemed normal again. You're alright, my Padawan? Yes, master. Every other time Dooku had saved his life, Qui-Gon had thanked him. He couldn't now. What had master done? Let me summon the others. Dooku stepped away to reach his communicator, while Qui-Gon remained there, guarding Shenda Mole as she shivered on the ground. So yeah, pretty intense stuff there, guys. As I said, it is an adult book, which just basically means it's not a kid's book and some of the language is a bit more in-depth. But yeah, that's the kind of stuff you could expect. You know, that it, it's a it's really interesting seeing Dooku's sort of uh, slow change in some ways. But obviously, if that part specifically is the thing that excites you the most about this book, I'd recommend listening to the audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost because that goes well further in-depth into what actually turned Dooku and things. Or you can listen to episode 26 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. I give like a general overview of a lot of the bits and pieces that make up Dooku's history that kind of made him turn. So there's a couple more things to get into before I sort of hang this up. Uh, I thought I'd get into the final prophecy of this. Now, I'll try not to spoil it too much, but it's kind of hard to. So th this is like a, a minor spoiler in, in a sense. The prophecy is, when the Kyber that is not Kyber shines forth, the time of prophecy will be at hand. That is essentially in this book that they find some sort of kyber crystals that are seemingly like fake kyber crystals, is that sort of thing. And then they're involved further on in the plot in some other way uh, that I won't spoil. So it's that kind of thing. And it's saying when the kyber that is not kyber shines forth, the time of prophecy will it be at hand. So essentially, you know, when they see this fake kyber, that's when a lot of these prophecies is going to start coming true, which obviously this book is basically that catalyst. 
So I was going to say, in general, there's not a huge amount left to say apart from more depth of the plot. Now, this part is going to be more spoilery than any other parts of it. Um, but I'm just going to do like a general run through of what the plot actually is of this. Getting towards the end, I'll give a general understanding of how it kind of ended. Uh, and then there is just one little bit of the epilogue that I'd like to read, only on the basis that if you're not planning on reading this book, the epilogue's really nice. And it, it's only short and it's about Obi-Wan just before you watch Qui-Gon's body burn on the pile at the end of Phantom Menace so I, I just think it's quite a cool insight into Obi-Wan but essentially the, the general plot is yeah they go to Pijal and there's some sort of not quite conspiracy but it's clearly something weird is going on they can't figure out what there's these people called the Black Guards they start to kind of attack but also there's something called the Opposition and they're starting to kind of attack as well but the Opposition are kind of getting framed for these really violent things when the Opposition aren't actually to blame for the violent things they're doing these they're like an ex-theatrical group so they're ones that are sending off like balloons of signs on and silly things like that or uh, graffitiing and stuff that's kind of harm not really causing anyone any pain while these other people the black guard they're basically trying to frame the opposition for doing lots of violent things so that a more extreme approach is taken to take care of the opposition so that's all going on and things like that Qui-Gon has this vision that um, something horrendous is going to happen at the coronation and he thinks that people are going to die and he's trying to sort it out and trying to prevent it and things Obi-Wan goes over his head goes to the council and basically gets appointed the new representative of the Republic because if Qui-Gon's refusing to be the representative of the public the coronation can't go ahead so Obi-Wan volunteers himself he speaks to the council behind Qui-Gon's back and kind of does that all the while you know Obi-Wan is kind of unsure about he, he feels betrayed because you know Qui-Gon didn't tell him about the Jedi Council offer he kind of knew about it a few days before and then someone else brought it up in a meeting and Obi-Wan was dumbfounded by it uh, so that causes a lot of friction towards the start of this book they find out who the person was who was sorting out the Black Guard it was basically just one of the uh, monarchies sort of one of the queen slash princesses handmaidens essentially he was kind of sorting out on things uh, it gets the coronation and they get to that point and they figure that out and then the coronation is about to go ahead and then the princess basically goes mental and ends up killing a few people but she hadn't signed this document which would give the Zerka Corporation a percentage of that power and there's this treaty that's going to get signed which Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon don't necessarily like the look of it needs to get reviewed more like there's a lot in this book I'm trying to do it in layman's terms but essentially Fanry the princess she becomes the queen she has ultimate power of being the queen goes around basically killing people uh, and then Towards the end of the book, they basically kind of have to, I think, ease things up or kind of get away. Rail Avaros feels like he's failed because he tried so hard to sort out and help Fanry, but ends up she actually wanted to kill him as well. Um, she doesn't. He does survive. And that's the last we know about Rail Avaros as far as anything else goes. And obviously, Qui-Gon Obi-Wan get off the planet. They felt like they bonded really well because of all the things they went through. And that that's generally the sort of the plot. Um, I am kind of making a mess of it in a degree, but because I can't go into so much detail about certain plot points without having to explain so much more. Because as I said, it's a 430-page book. It is amazing. But that is a general sort of layman's overview of the plot uh as you obviously know the spoiler in itself is Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan obviously don't die because they're in Phantom Menace eight years later but Ray Lavros doesn't die either there's a few other people who die but I haven't even mentioned their names so if you do read it it's just nice to not have that sort of aspect of it spoiled for you so I think the last thing I really want to do in this is actually read the epilogue uh, of the book which is really good so this last bit I'm going to read, this is probably the longest section I will have read, uh, and that's a nice way to sort of finish it off. And it's it just says after, and it's after everything is basically wrapped up, and 
There's a few other bits that I haven't mentioned just to keep an air of mystery, but this this is the last little part of the book, this is the epilogue. So, Queen Amidala entered the shrine, dipping her head so that her elaborate hairstyle wouldn't scrape the ceiling. When Obi-Wan looked up, she knelt carefully by her side. It's nightfall. Her voice was gentle, patient, like a woman far older than her years. Are you ready? Am I ready to see my master consumed by the flames, to know I'll never see him again, he thought. Give me one more moment, please. Amidala pressed her hand to his forearm, then went back outside. Within minutes, Qui-Gon's pyre would be carried outside and burned. It was the proper end for a Jedi, and it would be accompanied by the greatest honours. Qui-Gon's death was the will of the Force, but Obi-Wan could reconcile himself to none of it. Qui-Gon lay on a white cloth, his face as placid as it had once been in the depths of meditation. Obi-Wan had chosen not to dress him in a new tunic, but to allow those at the funeral to see the burned mark where the Sith Lord's lightsaber had pierced him through. It was the only hint of violence of Qui-Gon's death. The first Jedi killed by a Sith in a thousand years, he thought numbly. That fate should never have fallen to anyone, but if it had to happen, why didn't it happen to me instead of you? Obi-Wan remembered that, for the first few years of his apprenticeship, he and Qui-Gon hadn't gotten along. He remembered it in the same way he remembered dates in Jedi history, as flat facts, with little life to them. Instead, when Obi-Wan thought of his time as Qui-Gon's Padawan, he always thought of the years after that mission to Pijao, the years where they had become partners and friends. He'd expected to go through the trials, be knighted in the proper ceremony with Qui-Gon at his side, and for the two of them to remain friends for the rest of their lives. Instead, Obi-Wan had become a Jedi Knight, that morning, via a hasty promotion. He would never again have Qui-Gon's advice, support, or companionship. In fact, his only inheritance from Qui-Gon was rather more complicated. He glanced to the door of the shrine. Though night was falling, Obi-Wan could make out the silhouette of a little Anakin Skywalker. After Pijao, Qui-Gon's devotion to the prophecies had never faltered. Still, Obi-Wan would never have guessed that Qui-Gon would confidently identify the Chosen One as a small enslaved boy, lest would he have expected to be abruptly cast aside in favour of that same boy, a wound in his relationship with Qui-Gon that had only just begun to heal before his master had died. Obi-Wan understood Qui-Gon's reasons, but he hadn't shared his master's conviction that Anakin was the Chosen One. And yet, Obi-Wan thought, maybe this is the Force wills it. Qui-Gon came to believe in the prophecies again on Pijao, where he first began arguing that the Jedi should push the Republic harder in combating slavery. Never had Qui-Gon stopped arguing this to anyone who would listen, but he had never betrayed his mandate, not even on Tatooine. If Anakin is the Chosen One, and if he keeps his promise to free the slaves, it will fulfil all of Qui-Gon's hopes. With his dying breath, Qui-Gon had asked Obi-Wan to train Anakin as a Jedi. Most Jedi Knights didn't become masters until years after they passed their own trials, the years during which they got to forge their own path. For Obi-Wan to take a Padawan after having been a Jedi Knight for a few hours was unprecedented, surely, possibly also unwise. But Obi-Wan had promised it was the last thing he'd ever said to Qui-Gon, so it had to be true. I will train him, Master, he said, bowing his head low until it almost touched Qui-Gon's steel hand. I will do everything for him that you would have done. Qui-Gon had faith that Anakin Skywalker was the chosen one. Obi-Wan would have to find faith in it too. Looking at Qui-Gon's face for the last time, Obi-Wan whispered, I choose to believe. And that's how the book ends. I thought that was a nice way to sort of end it. 
it's it's a really nice end to the book and it kind of shows Obi-Wan's feelings and things that obviously you don't necessarily get in The Phantom Menace. But yeah, that's my quite long book review intertwined with bits and pieces about the book and lots of other things there. As I have said numerous times in this podcast, I really do recommend people go check it out, even if you listened all the way to the end and obviously are listening to me talking now and you're hearing that. I would really recommend you get the audiobook or get the book itself as it is a great read and there are certain parts of it where you really can't put it down. But yeah, that's really it from me, guys, I'd say, um, apart from what's coming up in the following weeks. So next week, I'm finishing off the first run of Darth Vader comics. That's going to be volume four, End of Games. Uh, that's going to be the absolute conclusion of that. The week after that is going to be, I'm going to have Tony Farina of Indie Comics Spotlight on. And it's going to be kind of like an introducing Afra sort of episode. We're going to talk about, like, if people haven't already listened to the Darth Vader episodes we can do like a roundup of what Afra had done in the Vader episode what kind of person she is what we well, what Tony hopes for in the future with Afra and just general discussions about Dr Afra uh, I haven't fully decided if we're going to speak about the first volume of Afra or not I may just do the recording see how much we talk about it and then if we don't talk about it that much I may just do its own episode on it anyway Episode 31, I'm probably going to do Age of Republic, and I think I might do Obi-Wan's issue, and then maybe Qui-Gon's issue as well, because I think it would tie in quite nicely to this uh, Master and Apprentice book review. Uh, and then 32, I'm aiming to do from the journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi, because as I said in the main run of Star Wars comics, there's been like journals of old Ben Kenobi in certain issues and things, which I haven't tackled yet. I want to wait till they'd all been done and then tackle them. So it's basically come to that point where they've all been done. So I was going to tackle them. Uh, and then the week after that is probably going to be Star Wars Volume 5, which is Yoda's Secret War, which is quite interesting, which it kind of, it culminates some of the journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi mixed with something that Yoda had to do before the Phantom menace which is quite interesting because we have very little backstory or any information about yoda that isn't in the series or the uh, movies that's in canon at least so that i think is it for the time being um and i think after that i may do the screaming citadel which is a crossover event between dr afra and the main run of star wars comics however depending on how much me and tony talk about the first volume of afra will depend on whether or not i do that then or if i do you know the first volume of afra first and then star wars you know it's that sort of thing but that is weeks away yet so i don't really need to have to worry about that at present Anyway, guys, thank you so much, as always, for listening. It's been quite a long episode, obviously, because I'm doing a big-ass book review. Please let me know how I did on this book review. I'd really be interested to see what people think about it, how I did the kind of sections, and if that's something that people want me to do more in the future, or if people would rather I just don't do spoilers at all and just talk about non-spoilery things so people can listen to the whole show. If they want me to make it shorter, go into less detail. If you don't want me to read out parts, that's completely fine. Just let me know how I did. I'd be really, really interested to hear what you guys all think. And so for future book reviews, I can kind of finely tune them I'd say but yeah that's about it guys make sure you check out my other show Genuine Chit Chat that's on its own feed and things I have a different guest on each episode I've had guys from Comics Emotion on loads of other people on you know lots of different guests so it's a lot of fun uh, and make sure you check out all the other wonderful shows on Comics in Motion thank you so much again guys for listening I really appreciate it I will talk to you guys next Saturday and as always may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.